I would love to have you take your Bibles and uh, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, as we get ourselves headed back into our uh, more familiar study for uh, the next number of months. As you do that, let's see a couple of things. First of all, a non-scientific poll. I just am curious. Um, You know, 8 o'clock service, who's going to come? How many of you were up at midnight? You saw the new year in. Could I just, what? Wow, you were woke? What? Pat was woke? Oh, I'm sorry, man. I just, I was, I stumbled right there. I meant to tell you. Okay. All right. No, you were, you were, you heard the explosions and the, the artillery. Okay. All right. Just checking. Wow. Scare me, man. Scare me. Confession time. All right. No, um. So that meant like half of you, you were in bed. Forget it. It's not like it's, it's, it's just another night. Go to bed. All this nonsense. Okay, a number of you. All right, I was just checking to see who shows up. I'm surprised at the number of you who, who were up late, and then here you are. So congratulations on that. Good job. Just get up. Get up. Uh, a little bit of self-discipline. What's the problem? Set an alarm. That's how you get up early. Good for you. Well, glad for it. Uh, as, we, as we head toward our text, just a, a little comic strip relief that I think will help us get our, our, our minds in that direction as well. A number of years ago, there was a comic strip um, that looked something like this. I'll try to paint the picture, okay? There's a lady sitting at a uh, kitchen table making a list, and her husband sits down drinking coffee. It's morning, you know, watches her, and, and she's writing this. He can kind of see. She goes, okay. Big list. Number nine, be nicer to other people. Number 10, eat only healthy food. Number 11, stop being so pushy. Number 12, cut down on the sweets. Number 13, don't be so critical of other people. He kind of looked at all this and said, wow, New Year's resolutions, huh? She said, yeah, you know, it's that time of year again. And He said, well, I'm impressed. Those are really outstanding goals. But, I mean, seriously, I mean, do you think you can keep those? She said, what do you mean keep them? These are for you. Um, Some of you think resolution-oriented thoughts as the new year arrives. Some of you don't. Um, But however you approach this, I hope that 2 Peter 3.18 is somewhere on your mind as Peter closes that second letter by saying, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That was his challenge to the people to whom he was writing, and it should be ours as well. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And even though you stayed up late, part of your rhythm is coming to to, to worship together with God's people. So good. That's a step in the right direction. So thank you for that. If you look at your sermon notes from your bulletin, you see kind of that run up. It's been six, seven weeks since we were in this uh, study, of course, with Advent and Thanksgiving and so on. Uh, But just remembering a bit about where we have been. So I gave you a pretty robust review section to to bring you back up to speed. I'm not going to go over all of those things, but, but you'll want to take a look at that. The today's text section, though... Um, As we prepare to read the text and step into it this morning, uh, several weeks ago, well, in our study, that is, several weeks ago in our study, we we raised a question that is repeated. The answer is repeated throughout 2 Corinthians, and it is that, who speaks for God? Who speaks for God? That is a big question that was really was addressed 
Uh, it, was, it was live in the church at Corinth. Uh, who, who speaks with the authority of God? And of course, that's a major topic today, whether we recognize it <clears throat> or we don't. That question, of course, originates back in the Garden of Eden at the very, very beginning after God had spoken to Adam and Eve and given them the order of how the garden should work and how their relationship with him and each other should work. And right away in that moment of temptation, you recall Satan, the serpent, in Genesis 3, 1, beginning to question God. And he does it by asking the question, did God really say Did God really say this? And the intent was to plant in the hearts of the people of God that questioning. Did he say, did he really? Wait a minute. Did I hear him wrong? Did you, what do you remember? Did God really say? And of course, that questioning, did God really say, continues down. It has since the Garden of Eden. It's very much at play in our world. I I shouldn't have to tell you, you know it. Um, the authority of Scripture since the Garden of Eden has always been under attack. Did God really say this? Is that what he meant? And a rethinking generation by generation uh, to the detriment of humanity. But the authority of Scripture, and I'm saying here most profoundly in our day, in those areas that reflect the image of God in humanity, to be direct. Did God really mean something about marriage? Or did he not? Did God really say any kind of a definition of marriage? When God made them male and female, did God mean it? Or was it a suggestion? Did God really say? So why did God create those things? Gender, marriage, why? And is it so easily erased? And these are issues today. I think they are authority of scripture issues. They are not simple cultural preferences. Absolutely not. It's authority of scripture. As Satan, again and again, different generations, comes around this side, comes around this side to cause people to say, did God really say? So authority, that's inherent even in our preaching text today. Does Paul speak with the authority of God or does he not? Is he just another person, some other random guy who's giving his opinion? Did God really say And how do you know? And it is with that in mind that I pulled that sermon title, Avoiding the Trap of Human Validation. I I realized in choosing that title, it would be easy for that same phrase to be used in a very culturally uh, sensitive way. I mean that in a derogatory way. You know, we don't want to have human validation. We just be confident in ourselves and things like that. That's not the point. Uh, avoiding the trap of human validation. No, who speaks for God? And is it up to people to vote? Or has God spoken authoritatively? See, human validation, is is that how we decide what is from the Lord and what is not? Or or has God spoken? These are big things for people to think about today. God's people. I I don't mean people who are not God's people. It starts right here. Has God spoken? Did the Apostle Paul really speak for God? And who says so? So I raise a number of questions today, do it on purpose, and some of those, many of those, will be addressed in the text and as we take a look at this together this morning. I want to pray for us, and I want to take a look at at this issue today, spiritual leadership, uh, spiritual authority, so to speak, thinking specifically of the Apostle Paul, the authority of the Word of God. So pray with me, if you would, please, as we get going here. 
Our Father, again, and as always, we ask for your help as we come to open the scripture together. Uh, We want to rightly handle, rightly divide the word of God, to hear it, listen to it, understand it, love it, obey it, to have it infiltrate every part of our life and our thinking, uh, our interaction with you and with the world around us. So use your word today to shape us, I pray, as we start this new year. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read our preaching text this morning, 2 Corinthians 3, 1 through 6, and then there are three elements I want to, to, to look at with you as represented there in your sermon notes. So 2 Corinthians 3, 1 through 6. We read this, God's word. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written in our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient or competent in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And I will urge you to be sure to be here next week because some people have taken verse 6 way out of context, by the way. Really, it's a lead into what follows. But people have taken verse 6 out of context to say, well, the letter, that means like the, you know, if the Bible says something clearly, you, you just, that's the letter of the law. Just take the spirit, which is just love everybody. That isn't what that verse says. And you twist it to your own detriment. But that happens among the people of God may I say, to our shame. But verse 6 often uh, turns sideways, and that isn't the intent at all. Well, take a look with me then uh, at at this text, and I want to think with you through these three areas that are represented here. First of all, I'm asking the question, uh, Paul is is raising the issue of spiritual leadership, and I'm just asking the, the preemptive question, is there such a thing as spiritual leadership? My goodness sakes, what do we mean by this? Well, uh, a couple of other texts that help us think about this. Second uh, Corinthians begins with Paul identifying himself, verse 1 of chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul, Paul gives himself the title, well, he reflects it. God has given it. An apostle of Jesus Christ, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul speaks with that kind of authority. He places himself in a unique category. And of course, when you think about the authority of Scripture, two other texts that should immediately spring to your mind, 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, speaks about uh, Scripture being given by inspiration of God and, and how God uses it. Scripture was given by God breathing it out to, to think about the words themselves. Scripture comes with authority. Paul speaks of himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 19 to 20, uh, that's the text where, where Paul is talking about the apostles and prophets who were who given by God as a foundation of the church. 
the apostles and prophets, a specific group. And I want to go back here uh, to another text, uh, Acts 4. You might come here with me. I want you to hear the authority with which the, the, uh, Peter, the apostle Peter speaks uh, very close to the day of Pentecost, very close to the beginning of, of all of these things we'd call the church. But I want you to hear the authority with which he speaks. This is in direct, um, well, challenge to how people tend to speak today. I don't mean speaking rudely. I don't mean speaking uh, with arrogance. That isn't it. We'll address the distinction of this a little bit later today. I want you to hear the confidence. Paul doesn't say, well, in my humble opinion, it's like this, but you can make up your own mind. No, he proclaims. uh, Peter says it. So I'm in Acts chapter 4, and I want to read verses 8 through 12. Hear the confidence in the message This isn't arrogance. He is speaking for God. So then it says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, well, God had used them to heal this guy, okay? If we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by, this, by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which he must be, we must be saved. Peter does not say, at least that works for me. He proclaimed it. This is the way it is. You rejected this Jesus. You crucified him. He was raised from the dead. No, that's actual historical fact, Peter says. It's true. It happened right here, Jerusalem, not three months ago. And you all know it. The empty tomb is right over there, down around the corner, take a left, he could have said. And there is salvation in no one else. No one gets to heaven but through Christ. He proclaims it, is what I'm saying. He speaks with clarity, passion, power, and without apology. Well, this is a confidence in the message that I I believe in our current state, culturally, Christians routinely lack. That is a confidence in the message. I don't mean arrogance. I don't mean rudeness. I don't mean being mean. I mean confidence in the message of the gospel. Well, the early church had it confidence in the message of the gospel. They were clear about what it says. They were clear in proclaiming it, and they didn't apologize for it. And I, 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 think, I think this should be a, a challenge to all of us as we live in a, a cultural uh, situation where we're just supposed to be cautious and, uh, about everything and, and add, in my humble opinion, to everything, uh, lest we sound, you know, too sure. Well, we are out of the mainstream of Christianity historically as we waffle about confidence in the text and confidence in the gospel. Okay? So think about that as we move along. Now, next item there on your your sermon notes, again, thinking about Paul and this issue of spiritual leadership in general, apostle, and so on. Uh, Thinking historically, there is a pendulum swing uh, we should recognize Okay, if in past generations there was, and I would say, I agree with you, there was, perhaps too much of a gullibility, a naivete about people who would be declared spiritual leaders, um, 
if indeed that was the case, we've come a, a long ways from it. It's interesting to me, as I have opportunity to, to travel just a little bit, uh, in different parts of the world, if you come to speak, and you're, you're this pastor person, and over here, it's like, well, big deal, and I'm this, and I'm not a problem. But in other parts of the world, you come and they say, here's so-and-so, a man of God. There's a man of God here from America. And I appreciate it culturally, but it's, an, it's terrifying. You go, Wow. Wow, dare I step to the pulpit with that title. That's incredibly humbling, uh, awe-striking. A man of God, oh Lord. Wow. Wow. There should be great confidence in the message, and as we'll say later, humility about the messenger. I think that's a a biblical way for it to be. Now, again, here under this paragraph, as you look at it with me, we can all point to individuals who were neither spiritual nor leaders, and we rightly recoil from leadership abuses, even as we look in history or current situation. We rightly recoil from leadership abuses. However, I'm pressing back against the current approach, I think. The current authority free-for-all, the the Internet has not helped that. It's reminiscent of the time of judges where uh, nobody has authority. Nobody. I mean, what I I think about it is just as important as anybody else. D.A. Carson, noted theologian, he says this, but you know what? I think he's all wet. I think it's this. Well, okay, he might not have that point correct, but I don't know. A little humility here would be good. Uh, when I start thinking about theologians that I read, yes, I read. And I, before I go, yeah, you missed it, I, I, I want to make sure I study a bit. Some of them know a little more than me. So being careful here a little bit, is there, is there, is there nobody who speaks for God? And should, is my opinion necessarily, uh, well, I should read the text exactly. But I just think there's a, we've, the pendulum has swung from, from too much to too little when it comes to recognizing spiritual leadership. I do believe that in our culture today. There was a time when uh, in, in a little town, whether, whether in America or in other parts of the world, where the pastor, the minister, the parson, the person, right, was the most educated person in town and was looked to for leadership in, in cultural things, community things. And of course, that has long since uh, been sent out the window. I'm not calling for a return to that. I'm just saying there's a pendulum swing. Viewing them too much like they're perfect and viewing them too much like uh, you're nothing. And I see that in our culture. So cautions, cautions for us. Paul then uh, often speaks with authority, which I think can be a bit jarring to people. Who are you? Who do you say you are? It was to some back then. You're, come on, Paul. I have as much authority as you do. To which Paul would say, oh, really? And rightly so. Paul, an apostle. Now, next item there, as you turn the page, I'm reminding us of some things that I have said on a number of occasions and will, I'm sure, say again if you stick around. Paul was in a unique category. I call it a capital A apostle. That's my term. That's not in the text, I realize. But I'm wanting to draw a distinction in the role of apostle. And I know that term is sometimes thrown around today in different denominations and groups, meaning something different. In, in the Bible, I think there are those who are, there's a group. There is a defined group, a unique category I call capital A apostles, who as we referenced in Ephesians 2, were part of that founding of the church. They spoke for God, ladies and gentlemen. Capital A apostles, 
a group that is closed. God does not continue to produce more of these. With the closing of the canon, that is scripture, you don't find new apostles. If you go back to historic Christianity, and I would dare you to do it for those who say, oh, it doesn't really matter. God continues to bless the church with, with you know what? That is not what the church fathers taught. That is not historic Christianity. If you go back to the church fathers, meaning those people who wrote in the two and three hundreds, there was a marked difference between the original group of apostles, that unique group who spoke authoritatively for God and all other leaders. The early church, I'm saying the early church fathers knew that. It has been a more recent development for people to go, well, you just, maybe we have more stuff going on that's equally authoritative. That has not always been the case in historic Christianity. That has not been mainstream Christianity. Uh, that has been more recent in the history of, of faith. So I, I just think I like to press into it. I, people understood this issue in those early centuries of the church. No, Peter, uh, Paul, and I give you a reference here, Second Peter three fifteen to 16, which we've read recently from this pulpit. You can find it again, of course, in your Bible. That's where Peter references Paul, according to the wisdom given him, as he wrote scripture. Peter references Paul as a scripture writer, writing for God. And that was in those early days of the church. He didn't say, and everybody else does too. No, he marked Paul as speaking authoritatively for God, recognized in the early church. I just think that's important. And then my fourth little bullet point, I won't belabor it. You're hearing what I'm saying. Spiritual leaders today are not apostles, capital A. Even if in a denomination, so-and-so is called an apostle, I'm hoping they don't mean capital A apostle. They might mean cool leader. They might mean denominational leader. I know in some denominations, the term apostle is used for a denominational leader. I really wish they'd pick another word because I think it's confusing to God's people. So that's Jay Mosser's opinion. Uh, I won't go to blows over that, but... I, I, I do think it can be confusing to God's people. Capital A apostles spoke authoritatively for God. Now, spiritual leaders, I say, not apostles, capital A, nope, not like Peter and Paul, should not be dictators, of course not. They shouldn't be unaccountable, that is, to use the opposite, they should be accountable, but they do have responsibility to lead God's people while recognizing their own humanity. There are plenty of calls in Scripture, and I give you just two here uh, that you can take a look at. First Peter 5, you might do this in preparation for your community group this week, where church leaders, elders, are called to shepherd the flock of God. Peter says, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not with wrong motives, but correctly, not lording it over the flock. Spiritual leaders, Hebrews 13, 17, is a call from the writer to the Hebrews to recognize spiritual leaders in your presence. He says, allow them to serve with joy. Don't make their lives miserable. Well, here, here. So the reader or the writer of Hebrews speaks in that way. So spiritual leadership, I just wanted to say a number of things about it. Moving to the next section then, getting specific about credibility here. And I, again, verses 1 to 3, verses 1 to 3 again, it was on purpose that I used the same uh, text as a referent here. Now, the first line in 2 Corinthians 3.1, Paul says uh, in the ESV, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Now, most modern translations have that as a question. I dare say whatever you have in your hand has it as a question. Now, down through history, only William Tyndale to my knowledge, took it as a statement. 
we are beginning to commend ourselves to you again. Now, I, I want to so say a word about William Tyndale, but, but about what, what the comment is. It, it comes out about the same, but, but in our culture, for us, someone who commends himself or herself tends to be looked down on. Isn't that right? We say, boy, you're really, I mean, that's arrogance. That's patting yourself on the back. Um, if you take away the arrogant part of that, um, culturally speaking, in Paul's day, when you didn't have an internet, you didn't have phones, you didn't have a way to check up on somebody, how do you know who somebody is? They show up in your little village. How do you check them out? Any ideas? Were you going to call their references? You're not. So how do you know who speaks for God? Some guy waltzes into your little villa and you, he says, I'm from so-and-so or this place, got my education here. Do you know that he got his education wherever? No, of course not. So it became culturally appropriate to say, let me tell you about myself. And to, what we would say, commend yourself. And in some cases, you can find this. There's an example of this. Check it out immediately if you like. I didn't give you this uh, reference in your notes, but I could have. Acts 18.27 is an example of this very thing, where Apollos was going to go speak on behalf of the early church in another setting. They don't know this guy from anybody. Some guy named Apollos is going to show up. So the brothers wrote letters on his behalf. That's the kind of thing Paul is referring to. Do we need letters of recommendation? Well, they did. This was a part of it. So if you're going to show up in some little villa, you might bring a piece of paper that somebody's going to recognize as from the Apostle Paul. They're going to say, okay, hold on, just sit in the foyer for a minute. Let me look at this. Does this look like Paul's handwriting to you? Yeah, but sure it does. Okay, what's your name again? And you've got a letter of recommendation from Paul or Peter or Barnabas or somebody who knows you. So letters of recommendation, Paul's not making this up. Do we need, when he asked, do we need letters of recommendation? That was normal. Um, in this case, he's asking the question, do we need to commend ourselves or, or we are going to commend ourselves or do we need letters? He's lived with them for 18 months. Uh, you remember early on in the founding of the church at Corinth. And he's saying, hey, hey folks, I think you know me by now. Do we have any kind of relationship? I, 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 think, we have a, I think we have something. Don't we? I've lived among you. And that's why he can say, you are our letter. But I want to go back to that first, that issue of, are we beginning to commend ourselves? William Tyndale would see it as a statement, we are. And he would see it as a good thing, not an arrogant thing. Paul was beginning to commend himself. A word about William Tyndale, I mean, who cares what he thinks? Well, let me just give you a couple of reasons to care what he thinks. He's called, in church history, the father of the English Bible, uh, born in the late 1400s. Uh, died as a martyr in 1536, strangled and then burned at the stake. Isn't that a nice way to go? And most of us long to age gracefully. Well, no, because he stuck it, literally stuck his neck out to say, the Bible should be in the language of the people. English Bible. The Bible should be in the language of the people. And he said to some church leaders who clearly didn't know the Bible, one of his most famous lines, he said, if God spares my life, before many years have passed, I will make it so the common plowboy knows more of the Bible than you do. And then he went ahead to translate the Bible, even though they hunted him down. He fled England uh, to the mainland of Europe because they were trying to kill him for putting the Bible in English. Imagine. And eventually he was betrayed, captured, strangled, and then his body burned at the stake. Wow, pretty nice. 
Years later, people hated him so much they exhumed uh, what was left of his body and ground it to powder and threw it in the river. Oh, my goodness sake, they hated this guy because he gave the Bible to the people and they could read it and say, wait a minute, that's not what you told us. This, this is, is authoritative. So it revolutionized. He, he, his last words, as they were preparing to strangle him and burn him at the, at the stake, his last words were, God opened the king of England's eyes. And he died for that. So William Tyndale, uh, his words uh, carried much of them, 80% or so into the, 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 the King James Bible of old. Uh, quite a scholar. But he saw here Paul saying, no, and he saw it as appropriate, I am going to give you an apologetic. I am going to establish some credibility here. He would, Tyndale would say, Paul is not asking, am I, like apologizing for it. He is using an apologetic in the positive sense and saying, no, I speak as an apostle of Jesus Christ. So sit up, boys and girls, and pay attention. He would, and, and Tyndale would have seen that as a good thing. Uh, not, not like he's sheepish or something like that. Only when pushed, we see it, some hint of that um, in chapters 11 and 12 when we get there in, oh, I don't know, five months or so. I'm giving you a list here. I'm not going to go through all of these. Here are some things that Paul, through his ministry, speaks about himself. You can go to those texts and see him play those cards. So at times, he tells you something about his birth and citizenship, about his respectable education. I sat at the feet of Gamaliel, a, a respected rabbi. I didn't come from nowhere. I do have an education, is what he's saying. Boy, I met with Jesus. Galatians, here's another text you might look at. Again, community group note stuff. Galatians 1, 11 to 12. That's a place where Paul says, the gospel that I preach, I didn't make it up. I didn't get this from people. I wasn't taught it from people. He says, I received it by a revelation of Jesus Christ. I received this from God himself. So authority, Galatians 1, 11 to 12, he is not shy about authority when it came to the message. 2 Corinthians 6, as we'll see, he begins to list his sacrifices for them. He does so at some length in this book. I have bled for you all. I have suffered for the gospel. Does that mean anything to you? He might say. So his lifestyle of sacrificial service. And again, we'll be here in some months, 2 Corinthians 12, 12. Paul says, the signs of a true apostle were done among you. Signs, wonders, and mighty works. He calls those things the signs of a true apostle. He does not say those are signs of a true Christian, like every Christian does signs, wonders, and mighty works. That text is one of the ones that I hang on to when I think about what people say is normal Christianity. No, Paul calls such things the signs of a true apostle. And I think he meant something by that. Otherwise, the phrase, the verse really has little meaning. So I'm just moving again to the next point there. Paul's openness about his life, including his past sin, he persecuted the church. It serves as an invitation for those things to be inspected. It is, it is right today when someone comes and, or is put forward for a place of leadership um, to check out said person's resume. We're never far away in the news from somebody whose resume doesn't check out. You ever seen that? Uh-huh. Yeah, much to their chagrin. Whoa, you got your degree from what? I've done an internet search. Such a place doesn't exist. Doctor who? Really? Ordained by whom? 
Wow, because that place doesn't exist. Or that's a, you know, I, for $25, and uh, I think I could become that too. Wow. Uh, how much now is it? Be- Boy, I, I want to say $25 or less. You too can become a reverend uh, on the internet. Sure, I think it's, that's 25 bucks, maybe 10 You too can become ordained. I say to our shame as a culture. Really? Really? Ha. Huh. No, I don't think that's the I don't think that's the idea. Now, a couple of phrases I want to press on here um, as we as we think about what this paragraph is all about. Paul is speaking about authority. His life gives him credibility, but his authority is from God. Paul would not have said, I have authority personally, other than as an apostle, like Paul, he would say, no, my life gives me credibility, those actions, my education, my birth, my authority is from God as an apostle. There's a difference here. There's a difference here. Now, as you, as you glance at the text, and I, I, we've, I think we've addressed the meaning here, letters of recommendation, all of the, the letters He's saying, God has used me in your life. That's really the main point of verses 2 and 3. God has used me in your life, and you know it. I know you do. Even as God has placed you on my heart, so God has used, Paul would say, my ministry in your life. Uh, not written with ink. Written by the Spirit of the living God. And now he's going he's to keep that thought flowing through the rest of the chapter. This is the confidence, he says, that we have through Christ toward God. It's not that, uh, that, that Paul would say that I as a human have anything. I, I, I don't. Our inadequacy, our, uh, no, he says our sufficiency is Christ in him alone. Our sufficiency is the message, not the person. Paul carried the message with authority. But he says not that we're adequate or sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from ourselves. So lest you think that to speak authoritatively is arrogance, Paul would say, no, 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 please get the distinction. The message is authoritative. Paul spoke as an apostle, capital A. I myself, the one who, Paul would say, you know, used to persecute the church, no, by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's not about me. It's the message that I carry as an apostle. And I think the same thing would be true for us. We ought not to be embarrassed about the authority of the word of God. I ought not to be embarrassed about the clarity, the specificity, the, 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 the narrowness, some would say, of the gospel. Jesus said, wide is the path that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to life. So rather than go, oh, no, 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 hold on. I, I think it's okay to say, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You want to accuse me of being narrow? Not a problem. There's one way, and I take down the authority of the word of God. One way, God said, to get to heaven. Christ in him alone. Christ in him alone. Not Christ in him alone in my opinion. Christ in him alone, thus saith the Lord. See, no other way to get to heaven except him. No, thus says the scripture. I didn't make that up. I have no authority to say that of myself. But to read the scripture and speak with authority? Yes, Absolutely. So spiritual leadership, I'm saying, is cause for humility, not boasting. I put a line here, it, it, it bold, and I, I, I just would, would love us to mull that over. Paul is bold and confident about the message, but humble about himself. Can that be said of you? I mean, both parts of that. Bold and clear and confident about the message of Scripture, rather than apologizing 
but humble about himself, humble about yourself. I think that's the right mix. I think Paul had that right mix, and I think it should be ours too. Bold about the message. Confident about the gospel. Humble when it comes to us. Our authority is not from us. Um, it, is, it is from God alone. Now, uh, verse 6, I'm just going to say, is a segue to all that follows. And as, again, as we come back next week and pick it up at verse 7 and look down through verse 18, we'll see where Paul's going with the Old Testament, New Covenant, Old Covenant, things like that. Really, really some good stuff here as you look to the Old Testament. But this opening, opening section, he's, he's raising this issue of authority again and saying, Paul, hey, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. So I have a couple of things here, of course, on your, your sermon notes. Uh, God still speaks with authority. He does in his word, the Bible. And I, I hope that we are not, we do not give in to the culture around us to say we ought to be just awkward all the time about speaking clearly what the Bible really clearly says. Let's not be that. Uh, even as we speak about cultural issues, those are not just my opinions. It's what God says. And I'm just going to stay right there with what God says. And I, I think we're right to speak what God says with clarity and confidence. Well, I gave you there a communion text, Second Corinthians 5.21. I want to pray and we'll step toward communion in these closing moments. But I'll say just a word or two about Second Corinthians 5.21 if you want to have that open in front of you. But I want to pray that God would, would help us to think this through. Confidence, confidence in the message confidence in the authority of God's word, I think would be the right place for us to begin a new year together. So I want to pray for us, if you join me in this. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the Apostle Paul. Thank you for speaking through him and giving us so much of the New Testament through his pen and through his life. And Father, you know we live in a world that is just wishy-washy on everything. Truth is deemed as relative rather irrelevant as a topic and completely um, uh, subject to whatever a person feels and thinks. And our Father, that's that's such a a stone's throw miles away from what the Word of God is. Keep us, our Father, from being tainted by that and wishy-washy honestly about the Word of God. Allow us as individuals and as a church to be clear about the things you've been clear about. So give us confidence in you, confidence in the word of God. Thank you for the morning. And I thank you that we can, in these closing moments, that we can point our hearts to Jesus as we begin this new year. And remember Christ crucified the only way you said anyone gets to heaven. Christ in him alone. Help us now in these moments as we remember Jesus, as we pray together in his name. Amen. And as you know, in receiving communion, we invite all of you who know Christ to receive communion, and in that way, remember Jesus, along with the thousands, millions of people down through the 2,000 years of the church who have so remembered Christ. Some in places of boldness and some in places of war, even today, uh, taking a piece of bread, a little cup of juice, and together remembering Christ. Sometimes long ceremonies, sometimes very, very brief. So we continue with with this approach. If you in the middle would, in a moment here, come on down and be served here and then back to your seats and you on the sides, if you'd come up the side aisles, communion elements here, take both cups, of course, as always, and then back to your seats. I'll say just a word about 2 Corinthians 5.21 and we'll remember Christ together. So please come, if you would.
2 Corinthians 5.21, we will, of course, be preaching here in a shorter time than others' texts. Some have called this verse one of the most clear statements of the gospel in the whole New Testament. You should know it. You should understand what it means. So Paul says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. The one who knew no sin, of course, is Jesus. God made Jesus, the one who knew no sin, to be sin. That is, he took our sin upon his shoulders as he died on that cross. The outcome of this is so that, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. That our sin would be on him and his righteousness would cover us. So Paul describes the gospel. My sin upon his shoulders, his robes of royal righteousness wrapped around me, the one who has no righteousness of my own. This is the miracle of God's grace. It's the miracle of the gospel. Too good to be true. (laughs) Well, amazingly good, and it is true. That's how Paul speaks of the gospel. God made him who had no sin to be sin for me so that I could be covered by his righteousness. I, I, to, to think of this is to be overwhelmed by it, that I could stand before God forgiven and clean, that you could, is stunning. All of that possible because God made the one who had no sin to be sin. The gospel, 2 Corinthians 5.21. You have in your hands a little piece of bread. It, it is to remind the people of God of the body of Christ broken for us on the cross and to elicit in us a prayer of thanks. So we remember him today as we say thank you, Lord. And of course, in that first phrase, as God made him to be sin who knew no sin, that took place on the cross in agonizing time as Christ poured out his life's blood for us. It wasn't just a waving of a magic wand. No, it was a suffering to the point of death, an awful death that Christ undertook for us. And so as we receive that little cup, we point our thoughts to Jesus and his death on the cross, and we say, thank you, Lord. Let's remember him together. And we head into another year. God knows what it holds. God knows how he will use us, individuals, and as a church. God knows. And we trust him because of Jesus. Would you stand with me as we close our time together in prayer? Father, we trust our way to you in the coming year. Twelve months, we don't know what will be in those months. Or if at the end of that time, we as a whole group uh, will be with you because Christ will have returned. Or if some of us as individuals will walk through that valley of the shadow of death, cared for by you. But Father, all of this we place in your loving care, your wisdom. We trust you as a good, good Father as we walk with confidence and boldness in the gospel into the year ahead. We thank you for these things. Bless your people this coming week. In Jesus' name, amen.